Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.04 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 22nd day of February, 2023. That's a lot of twos and a three. This is episode, I don't know what it is. It's like what? Episode uh, 676. God dang, man. It's a palindrome. Uh, The 676th episode of Bitcoin. And I have one boostagram. It is from my good buddy Bubba with 5,000 sats. Says, here's some action for you. Hey, ain't Wallet of Satoshi a custodial wallet? Man, if my old ass can figure out to use a LSP wallet, surely everyone can. I like Breeze and Phoenix myself. Bubba has a good point. Wallet of Satoshi is indeed custodial, right? So that means that you're not holding your keys to that wallet. There's no place to get the keys to that wallet. You know, it's, and, and I moved my wallet of Satoshi uh, LN URL. Instead of using it, I'm now using the Stacker News, as I said yesterday. But even Stacker News, if I remember right, isn't, you know, isn't exactly non-custodial. Uh, these are... Sorry, there was a... Somebody's dragging something on the street outside my house and it caught my attention. Um... <clears throat> Where was I? Custodial versus non-custodial. You want non-custodial, but when do you want non-custodial? Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is entirely up to you. Okay? How much are you comfortable losing is is the real point. Like, my wallet of Satoshi right now has like, I don't know, $22, $21 worth of uh, Satoshis on it right now. I wouldn't be happy about losing it if Wallet of Satoshi decided to rug my ass. I wouldn't be happy. And I would probably, you know, go out on a limb and call them out. I don't think, I don't think they're going to act. Wallet of Satoshi's got too much on the line. They've got, they have too much to gain to screw people over rugging, right? I mean, it's like, that's a good rock solid wallet. They've been doing good rock solid work for years. There's no reason in the world to trash all that and light your reputation on fire because as we all know in this space, the most flammable thing is your reputation. They're not, I mean, if something really terrible happens to Wallet of Satoshi, it's not, I doubt seriously, the last thing on my list is that the people that created it and the developers that maintain it and all those guys, they're the last on my list to be the reason and and you you know basically just greed and just take your money right that's the last thing on my list for the bad shit that can happen to wallet of satoshi first on my list is just flat out worldwide central bank and federal government regulation that's more that's more likely 
an occurrence where I don't want my $20 on Wallet of Satoshi. But right now, I'm comfortable with it. I'm okay with that. It's not my life savings. It's not everything I own, right? So my decision for me, and it only works for me, okay? I'm not telling you what your threshold should be. That has to be up to you. My threshold for a hot wallet or a not or a custodial wallet, something that I don't have any control over, is about a hundred bucks. That's me. Okay. There's other people that are, you know, have so much freaking wealth that, you know, they're good with ten thousand. But again, it it all depends on what you're comfortable with. You know, just because something is, oh, you're using a custodial wallet. Yeah, I got 20 Satoshis on it. Who gives a shit? It's sort of like that. That's sort of my attitude where, where it goes. Now, if I've got, you know, 50 million Satoshis on, on a custodial wallet, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm very nervous and I don't like that shit. I remember when I had my first Bitcoin on, uh, and I was still on using Coinbase and the Coinbase wallet is, is custodial. You don't have the keys to that wallet. And I remember when i I finally got it through my head about what self-custody meant. I got real nervous and it was worth enough at the time that I figured out that I was real nervous about this, that I bought a ledger and I don't, I don't use them anymore because they're, they have this, I've always had a problem with them bricking when I try to update the, uh, the firmware on it. And I, that's what I don't, I don't want a wallet that continuously has to have its firmware updated. It needs to be man in the coma approved. Uh, seriously, man. I mean, I need to be able to have a hardware wallet where I can wake up 20 years out of a coma from now and that son of a bitch still interacts with Bitcoin. Even if it's in a legacy style, it should have, I mean, it should have my seed phrase. It should be able to competently navigate the blockchain and find out what the balance is for that, you know, for that private key. I should be able to send and receive on public addresses generated by my public key 20 years from now out of a coma without a fucking firmware update, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I don't use a ledger anymore. Not saying that it sucks. It's just, it's not for me. I prefer cold cards. And yes, I can update firmware on a cold card, but I don't have to and that's the big sell point. That's what, for me, makes it man in the coma approved, okay? So <clears throat> Bubba has a good point, and you should determine for yourself, what's your comfortability threshold with using a custodial wallet, and then past that, that's when you wanna get into non-custodial. But that has to be your decision. Now, you may make the wrong decision about that. You may have a wrong threshold in mind. I don't think it's going to wipe your ass out like a bad decision wiped this guy out. From Cointelegraph, Felix Ng, his last name is NG, and I have no idea how to pronounce that. I guess it's Vietnamese. I don't know. But he brings us this one to start the show. Redditor could use young family after crypto trading addiction spirals. This is probably a cautionary tale, ladies and gentlemen. Listen carefully. A self-confessed crypto trading addict and father of two is facing the dire prospect of losing his family forever after secretly racking up $180,000 in debt 
from his crypto trading habits. Posting his story on the subreddit r forward slash relationship underscore advice on February the 21st, Reddit user Leather Opposite 2135 said he started dabbling in cryptocurrency trading around 2021. What was going on in 2021? Where was the price of Bitcoin and the rest of the markets at in 2021? Pretty high. Fast forward two years to the present day, he's been kicked out by his wife and is at least $180,000 in debt. His post states, The first year, my gambling addiction didn't take a noticeable hit from my business account to the point that it impacted our lives. The second year, it ramped up as I was chasing debt. The last few months even faster, sort of exponentially, really. Quote, it started just dabbling, said Leather. It's a tech space, so I found it very interesting. Joined a bunch of online spaces on Discord and eventually watched a few people trading BTC and I immediately got hooked. Within a year, he had already burnt $50,000 from trading cryptocurrency with the funds lost coming mainly from his software business. Quote, skip forward another year. And it got really bad, said Leather, noting that his addiction had started to take hold as he started to fund his trading through other means, such as personal loans and credit cards. Quote, I'm sure you've heard it before, but I found all sorts of ways to fund it, including getting personal loans, credit cards, lying about all of it. I was gambling on my phone when I went to the bathroom, when the kids were sleeping, on my computer, when not busy at work, end quote. Leather noted that around three weeks ago, he finally came clean about the debt to his wife, who didn't take the news well, threatening to leave him and take ownership of their house. He's since banned himself from crypto, handed over control of his trading accounts to his wife, and has been seeing a gambling addiction counselor weekly, but admittedly, it was initially hard to shake the addiction. Quote, emotionally, I was all over the place for the first two weeks, cold turkey from something I spent 10 hours a day on at minimum, all the while the little voice telling me to go look at the charts on the shoulder, end quote. The original post on Reddit has since been deleted by Leather, but it is neither the first nor the last story shedding light on the possible dangers of crypto trading addictions. Rehab centers around the world have begun adding crypto trading addiction to their list of services treating compulsive habits next to alcohol, drugs, and behavioral health. Quote, clinically, we have certainly seen an increase in people coming to therapy who report difficulties in managing their crypto trading behavior. Clinical psychologist Dr. Anastasia Pronis told Cointelegraph in an email, quote, in a similar way to gambling, many of them will report that it disrupts their day-to-day life. They spend a lot of time thinking about it and may also be experiencing financial hardship as a result, end quote. Dr. Hronis noted that similar to online gambling addiction, there is a ease of accessibility with crypto trading that can be quite dangerous for individuals. Quote, a person can be seen to be engaging in their normal day-to-day life. You know, examples like, you know, going to work, spending time with family and friends, participating in hobbies, etc., while still trading alongside. This means that an addiction can actually become quite severe before anyone else in that person's life notices. Given the newness of crypto trading, I think that treatment is still catching up to some degree. While the general principles of treating an addiction can certainly be applied here, 
there are nuances with crypto trading that would benefit from being better understood for better and to better inform clinical treatments added Dr. Hronis. Okay. So that's the end of the article. Um, This is a sad story, but it's, and they, you know, Felix, as he writes this, indicates in the article that this is neither the first nor nor will it be the last story that we hear about this. I've been hearing these stories since 2015. That's a long time to hear the same story over and over and over and over again. Because apparently we never learn. Somebody comes into the space and they say, well, it'll be different for me. I know how to navigate the charts. I can do TA as well as anybody. I can do it better than anybody. And therefore, I'm going to win at the casino. If that's ever entered your mind, you're at risk. You're at risk. You're at risk for having not only having a bad time, but having a bad rest of your life. If you were thinking at all about trading this shit, do me a favor and don't. Literally don't. You will be you will be happier for it. And what it will take to be happier about it sadly is when you decide to not do this, to not go to the casino, to not gamble. I've never wanted to gamble even before crypto, even before crypto, I never gave a shit about going to Vegas. Some of my friends love it. I don't get it. Some of my friends had bookies in Midland, Texas, of all fucking places. A hundred and fifty, like I think we were at 150,000 people in Midland when I was, you know, out of high school and, you know, going to junior college or whatever the hell. No, actually, I was going to junior college while I was in high school, but be that as it may, I hung around, you know, Midland a little bit longer. My my mom got sick and I didn't go to college right after high school. So I kind of bummed around for a little bit. Um, but, you know, we didn't have a very large population at all. And honestly, that doesn't matter. People are going to gamble and bookies are everywhere. And two of my best friends, they gambled on football, baseball, basketball, I mean, any kind of sports ball you could imagine, they would have bets between themselves. They would have bets on the books. One of those two guys killed himself. I have no idea if he killed himself because of a specific gambling debt or a series of gambling debts, but it certainly didn't help his mental attitude towards life. He was going down pretty fast by the time that... By the time he killed himself, it was, I mean, it was a runaway train wreck, okay? Um, But, you know, for the years before that, it was a series of serious alcoholism, serious gambling addiction, and it culminated in, in him killing himself. There was a lot of other stuff going on too, but, you know, general malaise about life, and that was well, you know, that was before... Uh, that was, that was before, uh, a lot of the clown show that we see today actually happened. I've seen a lot of suicide hotline numbers posted on Reddit over the years. I'm, I, I'm talking about this at length because 
the story really brings up some very sad memories for me. And not just my friend, you know, killing himself. That's sad by itself. But reading all these stories on Reddit over the years of people that I've never met, I have no idea who the hell they are. And I just read their stories and it's sad. And it happens at the tail end of every bull market. And then you get into the bears and people keep trying to trade this shit, trade their way out because they were trading on the way down. They got excited all about it at the at the peak or very close to the peak. They trade this shit all the way down. They never win because the casino is not designed to lose. You're designed to lose to the casino. That's the way the casino works. And it doesn't matter if it's trading the markets or going to Vegas or Atlantic City. Doesn't matter. Reno that does not matter. You are designed to be the patsy. The casino is designed to take most of the Patsy's money and pay out maybe 1%. It's designed that way. It's, it's not chance for the casino. Say, oh, we're games of chance. No, not for the casino. It's not. It's a business plan. It's an actual model. And they never lose. Have you ever, ever in your life heard of a casino going out of business because too many of their patrons won at the craps table? No, you haven't. Why? Because it's never occurred. Why is that? Because they're not designed to lose their money. Ladies and gentlemen, you are. And it doesn't matter if it's a casino or the markets. I am begging you, do not fall into this trap. Don't do it. Now, moving on from the sadness, we get into Nigeria. A little bit of other sadness. Might as well get it over with at the top of the show. But I mean, because this is this shit goes on, ladies and gentlemen. We can't just it's not all roses and you know and, and parades and you know Easter bunnies farting eggs and shit. We got this one from Bitcoin magazines. Ray Youssef is writing it. Nigeria's cash chaos is reaching a boiling point, underscoring the need for Bitcoin. The cash crunch in Nigeria is reaching a boiling point as 54% of its currency is now out of circulation. Let's read it again. 54% of Nigeria's currency is no longer in circulation. Earlier this month, I wrote about the deadline for turning in the old Naira banknotes, the scarcity of the new redesign, and the links people have had to go to to get their hands on the new currency. But a lot has changed since then. Lines have turned into protests and people are at their breaking points. This chaos stems from confusion. People do not understand who to turn to as they hear different stories from the Nigerian federal government, the Supreme Court, the Central Bank of Nigeria, some state governments, and of course, the banks. Last week, the Supreme Court announced that the old 200, 500, 1,000 Naira notes were valid until February the 22nd, when the court will pick the case for a full hearing. The next day, Nigerian President Muhammad Buhari ordered the CBN to allow the use of the 200 Naira notes until April the 10th. From the president, this leaves the old 1,500 Naira notes out of circulation. Some state governors are siding with the Supreme Court over the federal government and the CBN. As examples, governors in Lagos, Kaduna, and Agun have openly encouraged Nigerians to continue using the old 200, 500, and 1,000 Naira notes. On top of this confusion, the Central Bank of Nigeria has run out of paper to print the newly redesigned notes, and some believe that banks have been hoarding new banknotes, only giving access to the rich and people, of course, with connections. 
Major roads in Ibadan, Oyo State, were blocked by bonfires and protests over the delay of the new notes. In Wari, Delta State, people have taken to the street, burning ATMs as a last resort. In the Ajoto region of Lagos, a fight broke out between commuters and motor park workers over collecting the old Naira notes. I can feel their desperation and unrest. It's what I felt when I was marching in Tahir Square against corruption in the 2011 Egyptian Revolution. This money isn't play cash. Nigerians need Naira to buy food from the market and to use it as fair to get to work. Their whole lives have been disrupted, and all of this is coming less than a week away from the country's 2023 general elections. I pray that the election is still able to run this Saturday and that people are able to vote safely. The suspected ease of centralized currency breaks apart when you see what's happening, happening in Nigeria. It's a terrible situation and a sad but real use case for Bitcoin. My plea is to get more attention to what's happening in Nigeria. I love this Bitcoin community and I hope this opens up more eyes to why countries like Nigeria desperately need another alternative. Not because they need another investment asset, but because their future is riding on its success. I hope we can all stand with the people of Nigeria as they push for change and prosperity. All right, so that's that's from Ray Youssef out of Nigeria. Um, yeah, it's a sad, very sad state of affairs. And the confusion that he's describing is probably, honestly, is probably the worst part of the whole damn thing. Nobody knows what to use. And now you've got the cohesion of the entire country breaking apart on a province by province, state by state level, where governors are saying some notes are good and the CBN is saying that nothing is good and the president is saying that only this thing is good. There's no way you can operate as an individual in that environment, much less a market operating in that environment. He's raised right. Nigeria needs Bitcoin and it needs Bitcoin fast. And we've done everything we can and we will continue to do everything we can to educate as many people that will listen to us. But listening is only the first step. You actually have to take action and the person themselves has to take action. This goes back to the lead the horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I don't know how to help Ray, except to continue doing this show so that other people are aware of what the hell's going on in places outside of, quote unquote, the West. Because the West is a fantasy land. Everywhere outside of the West is the real world. We're in Barbie land right now, man. It's all plastic and it apparently seems fantastic. Even to the uh, Bank of International Settlements, or at least the fathead that controls it, he claims that fiat has won the battle with crypto. The Bitcoin community disagrees, as you might imagine. Joseph Hall, Cointelegraph, tell us more. The Bank for International Settlements, or BIS, has long taken a cautious approach to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. However, there is no need for caution anymore as the battle has been won between fiat and crypto, according to BIS. <clears throat> BIS general manager, Burgermeister Meisterberger, I mean, Augustin Karstens, who made the claim, highlighted that technology doesn't make for trusted money, <laughs> among further criticisms of crypto in an interview with Bloomberg. Oh, 
good Lord. As the central bank for central banks, the BIS has emphasized the need for regulation and risk management in the crypto space, but claiming the crypto versus fiat battle has been won sparked outrage, satire, and corrections among the Bitcoin and general crypto community. Ray Youssef, CEO of Paxful and vocal Bitcoin maximalist, told Bitcoin Telegraph that it's easy to get sucked into these battles, but it's all a distraction with no return on investment. He continued, we must focus on the battles in the global south and fight for every inch and every eyeball. What is happening in Nigeria now is vital for us all, end quote. Further quote, want to piss the clowns off? Ignore their FUD bait and focus all in on the global south and what is happening on the streets of Nigeria, end quote. Saifedean Amis, the author of the Bitcoin Standard, brought Karsten's statements to his followers' attention, provoking condemnation and concern in the comments. Florida-based Bitcoin advocate SVN, not his real name, whose frozen bank account prompted a switch to go all in on Bitcoin, told Cointelegraph, quote, these people are clowns, end quote. Meanwhile, Lady Anarik, a Bitcoin advocate who recently closed a Bitcoin security education company, uh, closed? Oh, that's a, that's sad. Closed a Bitcoin security education company, explained that, quote, fiat and crypto are essentially the same exact scam. <laughs> For fiat, it is nefarious elite oligarchs creating a rigged game system to enrich themselves while making everybody else poorer. Bitcoin is a technology designed with incentives and sound economic principles that enriches anyone who brings value to the world, end quote. Bitcoin losing the, quote, war for money, as Karstens explained, is another reference to the fact that Bitcoin has been declared dead, dead, and dead again. And they've got it underscored. That's a link to Bitcoin obituaries. <laughs> the 2022 and 2023 bear market is no different. And Bitcoin advocates on Twitter seized the opportunity to mock financial experts dancing on the imagery grave of the decentralized currency. Nonetheless, Bitcoin is up over 40% from its 2022 lows and Lightning Network adoption flourishes while the community appears increasingly vocal. What Bitcoin Did, the popular podcast hosted by Peter McCormick, tweeted some handy statistics to correct another inflammatory statement published by the BIS this week. Notably, from August 2015 to December, the 20, uh, December 2022, the BIS explained that, quote, nearly all economies made losses on their Bitcoin holdings. As shown, the price, Bitcoin price continues to trend higher, despite the BIS's best efforts to the contrary. And the, what Bitcoin did tweet basically shows, in, in fact, that whatever Carson's is saying is, is exactly wrong. The BIS has been a vocal critic of cryptocurrency, citing concerns about their volatility, scalability, and energy consumption. However, the BIS's research stablecoins and spearheads the development of central bank digital currencies in partnership with several countries, juxtaposing Carson's comment in the Bloomberg interview that tech doesn't make for trusted money. Willem Middlecoop, author and Bitcoin advocate, highlighted that the war between fiat and crypto is far from over. A cursory scroll through the comments on the original tweet from Bloomberg Crypto would suggest that the war is just heating up. So it's just what it is, is FUD, but it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Because generally speaking, <clears throat> what we've seen around the issuance of FUD has basically come from people who 
uh, for lack of a better term, don't matter. You know, other cryptocurrency advocates, a guy who wrote a book, you know, somebody who is a, you know, like a successful crypto trader and is a TA analyst and all that shit. When they FUD, it's one thing. Uh, when Augustine Carstens is, you know, hate him, you know, you can hate him as much as you want. He's got street cred as far as the West is concerned. So his voice matters to people like Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, and Financial Times, and shit like that. Right? The FUD is now shifting from the bottom dregs of us in quote-unquote crypto land up into the upper echelons of those who seek to control us and continuously make us slaves. And now they want to introduce their worldwide slave coins, which if you adopt that, you will be a slave. There's no two ways about it. I And I mean, does that mean that Bitcoin automatically fixes it? Yeah, but it's gonna it's not going to be easy and it's probably going to suck along the way. And that question leads you to your, your internal question of what am I prepared to do? How am I, you know, what am I prepared to say and to think and adjust my, you know, expectations of life? Is the fight worth it for the future? I don't know. Do you have kids? If you have kids, then the answer is easy. Yes, it's, it's worth it. Can you stomach it though? There's there's no way to really tell. It's hard. All of this is hard. Now, uh, FTC, let's do this one. The uh, Federal Trade Commission has objected to crypto broker Voyager Digital's third attempt at bankruptcy restructuring. It said it would unlawfully bar the company from being held accountable for actual fraud, willful misconduct, or gross negligence. By the way, Stacey Elliott is writing this one for Decrypt.co. So if the judge confirms the plan as it's currently written, the FTC could technically be stopped from pursuing legal action or issuing fines against Voyager and its former employees. FTC attorney Katherine Johnson called the plan a disguised discharge. In a court document filed Wednesday morning, Johnson wrote that the FTC has been investigating Voyager Digital for their deceptive and unfair marketing of cryptocurrency to the public, end quote. Bankruptcy Judge Michael Willis conditionally approved Voyager's restructuring plan on January the 13th and scheduled a hearing to confirm it next Thursday on March the 2nd in Manhattan. Voyager Digital, which filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection on July the 6th, filed its first restructuring plan in August, its second in October, and a third plan in December. It's wording in a revision that Voyager's legal team filed in January that the FTC, it's that that the FTC takes issue with. The plan estimates Voyager customers and creditors will see at most a 51% recovery of their assets. It also specifies that any person or entity who has a legal claim against Voyager that predates confirmation of its restructuring plan, quote, shall be precluded and permanently enjoined on and after the effective date from interfering with the use and distribution of the debtor's assets in the manner contemplated by the plan, end quote. Voyager creditors 
have been through a roller coaster of a bankruptcy process so far. The company was hit hard by the collapse of the crypto hedge fund, Three Arrows Capital, or 3AC. It filed a default notice for 3AC's outstanding loans, which totaled $673 million at the time on June 27th. Days later, Voyager filed for bankruptcy and began the restructuring process. In August, Judge Wiles, or Willis, uh, approved a motion for Voyager to return $270 million to clients, but that left more than $1 billion worth of assets left to be distributed among creditors. By September, Voyager announced that Sam Bankman-Fried's trading desk, Alameda Research, had acquired its distressed assets. But when FTX itself collapsed in November, Alameda went down with it and Voyager had to scrap that plan. After reopening the bidding process, Voyager announced an agreement for Binance US, the United States-based arm of Binance, to acquire its distressed assets. The company went even so far as to creating uh, Binance US accounts for its US-based clients if they live in states where Binance US is allowed to operate. So customers who live in Hawaii, New York, Texas, and Vermont could have to wait up to six months longer than the rest. Now, now, now it remains to be seen whether Voyager will have to submit a new or revised plan ahead of the March 2nd hearing. The Voyager people are probably never going to see a dime. And if they do, it's going to be a decade. This is not going to clear up fast. None of this shit is going to clear up fast because they're all snakes and they're going to continue to be snakes. It doesn't matter that, I mean, they, you know, whatever money they made, you know, like the guys at Voyager, they're, they're going to keep that cash. They're probably not going to have to give up a lot of their personal wealth. This is, this is why I only deal in Bitcoin. This is why I don't keep my shit on exchanges. This is why I don't leverage. This is why I don't gamble. This is why I don't trade. This is why I don't do TA or technical analysis. This is why I stopped. I really stopped looking at actual charts over, well over a year ago. I just don't care anymore. I just, I just don't. So now we're going to go from the Bitcoin world <clears throat> into the real world. Or is it the Bitcoin world into clown world? Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities, West Texas Intermediate down two and a half points to $74.50 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise down two and a quarter points to $81.22. Natural gas, however, doing its manipulated thing because it's up 8.25% to $2.24 a thousand. Gasoline down well over 3% to $2.34 a gallon. All the metal rocks are not doing very well. Uh, gold moving mostly sideways, however, 0.05% to the downside, still chilling out at $1,841.60. Silver, however, is down over a full point. Platinum is up a third of a point, the only winner today. Copper down 1.2, palladium down 2.28%. Ag is eh, mostly down, kind of mixed. We got two good winners here, 1.8% to the upside for coffee. Cotton likewise up a point and a half. Biggest loser today is wheat, 1.77% to the downside. Dow up a quarter of a point. S&P up 0.17%. 
NASDAQ is up a fifth of a point and S&P Mini is up a full half. Real money struggling today, $23,661.13 after over half a million Bitcoin have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 2 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.016 BTC or just under 400 bucks. We've apparently had a difficulty readjustment, I guess, because block times are at 10 minutes and zero seconds exactly. This is all according to bitinfocharts.com, by the way. 0.12 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 17.72 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with a 5.86% increase in hash rate. We're up to 311.7 exahashes per second. Uh, Dogecoin, a point zero, no, let's do it this way. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is 8.4 United States pennies. So the entire market is having problems because the shitcoin, as your shitcoin indicator suggests, because you don't need to know anything other than the price of a single shitcoin to understand what all the shitcoins are doing. They are also decreasing in value. And honestly, they should all be at zero, but they're never going away. Clark Moody. Bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash dashboard. We have a $458.2 billion market capitalization. That is 3.78% of gold's entire market cap. You can, if you so choose, purchase 13.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,298,676.84 of and 5,365.15 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $127.4 million, being run over 16,182 nodes, sporting 76,188 total payment channels that we can see, and 67.8% of all that's being run over TOR's associated 11,437 nodes. There are 10,092 transactions waiting on 24 blocks to clear, we know we have not had a difficulty change. It's apparently all about hash rate as to why we're back up to 10 minutes per block. There is a recommended or an estimated difficulty change of 11.0% that is still targeted on February the 24th, 2023. There's your weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Luxor Mining acquires Ordinal Hub amid Bitcoin-based NFT hype. Oh, oh my. Uh, This is just sad to read. (laughs) Savannah Fortis forces us to hear it from Cointelegraph. Yes, Luxor Mining has acquired this thing. The January launch of Bitcoin Ordinals created a stir within the crypto community about its place within the Bitcoin ecosystem. Users are debating whether they offer new use cases for Bitcoin or if it takes away from BTC's peer-to-peer cash system vision. No matter the company sentiment or community sentiment on the Bitcoin-based non-fungible token issue, this did not stop Bitcoin mining firm Luxor Mining from acquiring Ordinal Hub, the primary platform for Bitcoin NFTs. Jesus Christ. I was hoping that Casey wouldn't get into this. 
The announcement came on February the 20th with 150,000 inscriptions already made, which is a 15,000% increase from the beginning of the month. Luxor highlighted the fact that the current state of Bitcoin ordinals being minted and escrowed through various Discord servers has made it difficult for collectors and creators to keep track of all the projects. It's probably because it's not worth keeping track of. It claims the ordinal hub will tackle this issue as a central hub for the community. Nick Hansen, the CEO of Luxor, praised, praised, and praised the innovative qualities of ordinals and how they can create synergies between the firm's mining pool and the ordinal hub. Quote, ordinals have opened the door for exciting new monetization strategies and for Bitcoin miners. Nobody ever fucking learns. End quote. As Cointelegraph reported, Bitcoin miners have already made around 600,000 from ordinal NFT transactions. Moreover, Bitcoin-based NFT inscriptions now take over 50% of block coin block or Bitcoin block space. Ordinal Hub posted about the acquisition on Twitter February the 22nd, which is today, to which users responded with generally positive sentiments towards the development. Yeah, whatever. However, some users remain skeptical about the acquisition and the ordinal buzz in general, saying the hype might be over. Standard NFTs have gone through hype cycles, which was at a low by the end of 2022. However, according to a recent DAP Radar report, they are slowly making a comeback after the 37% increase in transactions from December 2022 to January 2023. And what we don't know is how much they paid for it or the parameters of the acquisition. Not only was it not was suspiciously not here. It wasn't even mentioned as, yeah, we reached out to figure out how much you fucking paid for it, but you didn't get back to us. They didn't, not even that. Now here's, here's my thing. Um, what am I trying to say here? Ordinal hub. Let me see if I've even got that still in my, uh, in my search. Uh, I don't, I don't, hold on, keep on going. Cause I want to make, I, I want to make sure about something before I, uh, before I start bitching and moaning. Okay. This may not be, okay. Thank God. This is not the original website about, uh, inscriptions and ordinals that from what I understand is controlled by the guy, the very guy that created the whole ordinal thing and inscriptions to begin with. I do believe his, his first name is Casey. I'm not exactly sure on that. I should know, but I don't, my apologies. Um, that's what I was really worried about was that it was that he had already sold out because that's not, that would not be a, well, that's not a good look for anybody. And at that point you've burned your rep. If he, you know, it, and I don't know if this is, it's ordinalhub.com. And I'm not sure where, you know, what the address of the original ordinal site was. Uh, I could go back and look, but we've got other fish to fry. My point is that this is where people burn their reputations. Now, Luxor, if I remember correctly, came out in defense of a massive block that they mined for zero fees saying that I don't, I can't even remember what their argument was, but they mined this damn near four megabyte block. They, there was no fees on it that anybody could actually tell. 
Bitcoiners went ballistic and rightly so. And they were trying to figure out, well, did you get paid on the side or whatever? And all that came out of Luxor was that this is good for the environment. This is good for the ecosystem. This is good for Bitcoin. And, and, and we're, we're, we're on your side, Bitcoin. We're on your side. No, Luxor mining is no longer on anybody's side but Luxor mining. The iron law of bureaucracy strikes again. They don't care about the mission. They care about their ongoing longevity. Screw them. I hope they collapse. Brazil and Argentina don't need a common currency. What they need is Bitcoin. Jack Williams from BitcoinMagazine.com says the following. Brazil and Argentina have faced off against each other on numerous fronts, namely World Cup qualifiers and Copa America, America epics. So as an avid soccer fan, I found this Mises.org article by Marcos Falcone a little strange at first, but it suggested that the two rivals might come together to establish a common currency. But considering the two nations' standings in the global economy, the idea makes sense. Argentina has gradually shifted more into economic uncertainty as its currency inflates year over year and often month over month. Brazil faces political and economic uncertainty after recent troubling events surrounding the re-election of President Lula da Silva, who faced corruption charges prior to his campaign in 2022. According to Falcone, President Lula and Argentina's economic minister, Sergio Massa, have discussed a possible trading currency between the two nations. Without a doubt, if Brazil and Argentina ever come to such an agreement, the eventual currency is going to strip more wealth from the hands of the Argentine and Brazilian people. Despite whether whatever sweet nothings Lula and da Silva, Lula da Silva and Argentina President Alberto Fernandez would whisper into the ears of their prospective populaces, the only victory achieved would likely be on their cronies front. Falcone shares this concern in his article as well, providing a stellar account of both Argentina and Brazil's economic histories, along with a strong case for why their speculated fiat solution is anything but a legitimate reform. But Brazil and Argentina have an exceedingly rare opportunity to change the dynamics of international economic cooperation and diplomacy for the better by adopting Bitcoin. As esteemed anarchists, author and podcaster Michael Malice has said, quote, every country is in a state of anarchy towards every other country, end quote. To extrapolate, Brazil and Argentina's best shot at stabilizing their trade and boosting their economies is through Bitcoin. The trade stabilization effects come from a shared objective, cardinal valuation on goods shipped between the two countries that is tied to a digital currency that is not controlled by either Brazil or Argentina's governments should not be underestimated. Officials from both sides could sleep soundly knowing that their own countries are not being screwed over by their neighbor and that their citizenry is benefiting economically and simultaneously with those of their rival nation. Knowing what politicians actually get wet dreams about, I understand this solution is very unlikely. Ultimately, we don't need those politicians to implement this international means of trade. We can run nodes without the permission of Luna da Silva, Fernandez, or any other parasitic politician. But formal Bitcoin adoption is not impossible. 
Just look at El Salvador. All the work that has to be done on the political front is the granting of some formal permission to use Bitcoin and possibly some encouragement through light propaganda. The rest of the work will be done through the miners, node runners, and Bitcoin enthusiasts in the two countries and around the world. And the political groundwork may have already started in both countries. Conflicting accounts coming out of Brazil, including a statement from a federal deputy, have suggested that Bitcoin has the potential to become legal tender. From the Argentinian standpoint, or Argentinian standpoint, however you pronounce it, one of the upcoming presidential hopefuls is the passionate, boisterous, Austrian-disciplined economist Javier Milli, the current federal deputy of Buenos Aires. He is credited with saying that Bitcoin is a natural reaction to the central bank scam. The more I listen to him, the more hopeful I become. Bitcoin has the possibility to become a massive economic and political victory for the struggling South American nations and their populations. What must be stated is that the people of Brazil and Argentina are in search of a better option than what is being presented and propagated to them. The people are either striving for a better means of economic opportunity or they are striving for a government handout, as is the case with many other nations. As respective Bitcoin miners, node runners, and scholars, we must step up and portray the positive effects of the best cryptocurrency on the planet to the people who are desperate to grasp any message of hope. Any message of hope at all. It is the individuals who determine what is valuable in society. And the communication of knowledge and ideas across borders have never been easier. Make no mistake, the idea that we possess and the conviction we carry is bulletproof to any regime that threatens to conquer our physical planes. One must understand that regimes cannot rule our minds unless we let them in. As Victor Hugo wrote, quote, No army can stop an idea whose time has come. Right. And to reiterate, in on- honestly... Begging for political adoption of Bitcoin, in my opinion, is the most wrong-headed way to go. Because that means that all citizenry of the world are mere sheep. And yes, I know you're probably saying, yes, they are. They don't have to be. And every single individual on the face of the planet has the potential always to break out of that. It just depends on how much squeezing they get to crush that shell of inequity. And then the soul pops out and is able to fly free. What I keep saying is how much pressure does it take on a citizenry for that citizenry to just say enough? And either through, you always hope for nonviolent stuff, but generally speaking in the past, that that's not what happens. What generally happens is you get really violent behavior by a large amount of people that simply overwhelm government, police, and military forces and just physically beat the living fuck out of them. But then that brings in all manner of problems. Everybody's like, well, look at what the French did. Have you actually read what happened in France after the first French Revolution? (laughs) It was not pretty. Why? People are still greedy. Even the poorest, even the poorest of citizenry is still greedy or can be greedy and they seek power. 
it, they had like three basic overthrows of, of people that were proclaiming that they were now leading the people of France and the, the French people said, fuck you and killed them too. And this happened over and over and over again until guess what? The people of France demanded a monarchy, which is what the French Revolution sought to overthrow in the first place. It's amazing how much pressure the human spirit can take before it permanently busts out of its shell of iniquity. And Argentina and Brazil, no different. So that's one of the reasons why we, we, you know, and it's kind of become a joke. Oh, it's a grassroots movement. Yeah, over the last 70 years, I've seen a lot of grassroots movements, basic movements basically go nowhere but down the drain. This one, the Bitcoin is a grassroots movement. It has every potential to go down the drain itself. It's the people that prop it up. And sometimes I get a little, get a little weird when I hear people say, we got to use the propaganda in a positive light. No, propaganda is always wrong. Facts. What are the facts of Bitcoin? Let the facts of Bitcoin speak for itself. Give the people the tools to uncover those facts for themselves. I, I, I can, it's like watching a sunset for somebody else. You can't do it. I can tell somebody who doesn't know shit about fuck all day long about Bitcoin and they're never going to get it. Never going to get it. The only way to do this is to present them with some way to uncover the facts for themselves, which is two problems all at once. First, they have the interest to do the, they have to have the interest to do the work to uncover the facts for themselves. That's probably the easier of the two. The second one is a little bit more difficult. It's understanding those facts to the point that it completely changes your attitude, your outlook, and the way you view the passage of time. That's a wholesale change in the way that you have been brought up. None of this is easy. All of this is hard. And it's hard for Binance too, because BUSD stablecoin has temporarily plunged to 20 cents on Binance. <laughs> Ooh, stablecoin, weehaw. Coindesk.com, Oliver Knight writing, Binance USD, BUSD, the third largest stablecoin by market cap, quickly dropped to a low of 20 cents against the DAI stablecoin on Wednesday morning as liquidity dried up on the Binance crypto exchange. The plunge was triggered by a single $640,000 market sell order, which prompted a cascade of slippage down to 20 cents. BUSD immediately regained its peg on Binance against DAI, D-A-I, as arbitrage traders could feasibly purchase it for below $1 on Binance and sell it for $1 on another exchange. Ooh-hoo, arbitrage. At press time, there are... $3.38 million worth in aggregated sell orders down from the dollar peg to 20 cents, meaning that it would require $3.8 million of market sell to again take price action to that level, according to Binance's order book. For Wednesday's $647,000 sell order to trigger a move to the downside of that magnitude meant liquidity was either pulled from the book shortly before the sale was made or a pricing error failed to account for resting buy orders. 
BUSD has been embroiled in a regulatory tussle after the New York Department of Financial Services ordered Paxos to stop issuing the stablecoin, a move that will see BUSD supply trend towards zero over time. And honestly, with that kind of news, I still don't understand why Binance USD is still a thing. I would just, I don't know. I guess, well, if you're going to, if, if my advice is to sell it all and everybody that has BUSD happens to be listening to the show, spoiler, they're not, and they sell it all. Well, that means somebody's got to buy it, right? And somebody will buy it, which means that it's never going to go to zero. Now, the issuance will eventually because people will lose it. It'll get burned because that's probably the me- that's actually the mechanism of how this thing regulates itself. But make no mistakes. All the stable coins are in danger. Tether is probably the last domino to fall on that. But make no mistake, they're going to come after Tether too. Tether FUD has always been around, but it's basically been internal FUD. Wait till the SEC starts getting a hold of that FUD. Oh, it's going to be a different story entirely. Now, uh, let's do, oh yeah, this one, which is probably more on the order of, uh, uh, what, what, what do I want to say? Uh, tabloid type news, but still, we got to have some fun, right? William Suberg leads us into it, Cointelegraph. Uh, no, actually, no, that is not right at all. It's Jason Nelson from decrypt.co stating Bulgarian investors claim the crypto queen was murdered in 2018. The hunt for the infamous crypto queen, Ruja Ignatova, took a dark turn as an investigation by Bulgarian news outlet Bird reported that she was killed in 2018, citing documents reportedly found in the possession of a murdered Bulgarian police official. Ignatova was head of the multi-million dollar OneCoin scam and disappeared after allegedly fleecing investors out of as much as $5 billion in 2017. She was added to international fugitive lists, including the FBI's 10 most wanted and Europe's most wanted list. If the Bird report is true, she achieved this notoriety last summer up to two years after her supposed death. According to a story published February the 17th, Bird reporters Dimitar Stoyanov and Atanas Chubanov say police documents show that Ignatova was killed on the orders of a drug lord aboard his yacht. Her killer, according to an unnamed source in the police report, was an associate of Ignatova but did not say if they were involved in the OneCoin scam. According to Byrd, Ignatova's body was dismembered and dumped in the Ionian Sea, a body of water south south of the Adriatic between Italy and Greece. The report surfaces the same week Ignatova's former boyfriend, Gilbert Armenta, was sentenced to five years in prison for his role in the OneCoin scam. It should be noted that the police documents cited in the report say that the source claiming that Ignatova was killed was intoxicated at the time. Decrypt has been unable to reach Bird for further comment. The promoters behind OneCoin, which was launched in 2014, claimed it was a mineable cryptocurrency with a maximum supply of 120 billion coin. The scheme lured hundreds of investors, actually more like thousands, dude, tens of thousands, uh, the, scheme, the scheme lured hundreds of investors with the promise of becoming the next Bitcoin. But unlike BTC, 
one big one coin's blockchain did not exist like at all. Ignatova's complete disappearance led investigators to believe she may have changed her appearance, but this report of Ignatova's death could explain why the $100,000 reward by the FBI remains unclaimed. In December, Ignatova Associate and OneCoin co-founder Carl Sebastian Greenwood pleaded guilty to federal charges of wire fraud and money laundering related to the scam. In January, a London property filing with the British government hinted that Ignatova had resurfaced. The filing listed Ignatova as a beneficial owner of Abbott's House Penthouse Limited, a Guernsey-based company that had purchased a multi-million dollar penthouse in the suburb of London called Kensington. But while the UK filing lists her name, the BBC said the listing came from prosecutors in Germany rather than Ignatova. If Ignatova is still alive, she faces several charges of wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, securities fraud, conspiracy to commit money laundering, each of which carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in federal prison. We don't know, but like I said, we got to have some fun. I mean, it's basically the news today. eh, it's, It's less than happy. I'll admit, but it is what's going on and we've got to, we got to suffer through it. Now, uh, we'll do, we'll, let's do this one. Uh, William Suberg, Bitcoin must leverage $1 trillion central bank liquidity to beat sellers. According to research, this is out of Cointelegraph. Uh, Bitcoin hodlers need to watch the central banks of China and Japan as well as the United States, as BTCUSD battles huge resistance. That was the opinion of trading firm QCP Capital, which in its latest crypto market research piece, The Crypto Circular, warned that Bitcoin faces risks far beyond the Federal Reserve, that that's the whole point. It's never been just about the Federal Reserve, has it? We've always known this. However, I don't think we've been reminded of it lately. And I'm hoping that this will do it. Having survived the latest flood of macroeconomic data from the U.S., Bitcoin is nonetheless flagging right below 25,000 as bulls bulls run out of momentum. For QCP Capital, there is now reason to believe that risk factors for price performance will come not just from the Fed, but China and Japan as well. Market participants must now contend with such issues as China's consumer price index, as well as the U.S. equivalent, along with Japanese central bank policy changes. Quote, while the jury is out on BTC's value as an inflation hedge, it cannot be denied that it is the most direct global liquidity proxy, as it's not tied to any one central bank or nation, the research argues. Bitcoin is sensitive to global liquidity, and when central banks inject it, this marks an incentive for growth in and of itself. That argument is already popular, with others also eyeing how liquidity junkie Bitcoin will navigate changes in central bank liquidity this year. Quote, as we were all focused on USD liquidity from the Fed's QT and reserve balance, we've missed the massive liquidity injection by the Bank of Japan and People's Bank of China over the past three months, QCP continues, quote, contrary to consensus, central banks have net added $1 trillion of liquidity since the market's bottom in October of last year. That marks the fourth, starting of the fourth, yeah, 
that marks the beginning of basically the fourth quarter of 2022. That's not that long ago, right? The PBOC and the BOJ were the largest contributors to that $1 trillion of liquidity. QCP refers to the dichotomy between U.S. policy, China, and Japan, quantitative tightening versus quantitative easing. Regardless of what the Fed does, extra liquidity in one place is all but guaranteed to trickle into risk assets such as crypto. Quote, hence, such a large injection of liquidity will no doubt find its way to crypto, even despite what appears to be the current U.S. administration's best efforts to prevent that, it says. Versus net, $1 trillion liquidity injections. The Fed has reduced its balance sheet to its lowest level since September of 2021. Quote, what this means is that apart from U.S. data and Fed guidance now, which ultimately still holds the highest beta for market moves, we also have to be conscious of BOJ and PBOC liquidity injections, QCP writes. Quote, any reversal of liquidity from these two sources would remove the underlying support that BTC has seen the past month, end quote. Going forward, however, liquidity fans face formidable resistance when it comes to Bitcoin, with order books showing sellers lying in wait in mass closer to $30,000. $25,000 is already causing enough problems, QCP warns, acknowledging that rejection at that level would mean that resistance from mid-2022 remains in control. As Cointelegraph reported, that issue is also being watched by popular trader and analyst wrecked capital. Quote, BTC, a potential double top is forming against the August 2022 correction high and May 22 correction or reaction is low at 25,300. Above that, we have the huge 28,800 to 30,000 resistance band, which is the head and shoulders neckline the research confirms. BTC USD traded at around 23,700 at the time of writing, near one week lows according to data from Coin Telegraph Markets Pro and TradingView. So there's your market and your your TA, I guess is is where you know where we're on with that one. But maybe that's kind of, you know, suggesting why people are kind of spooked today and and we've dipped below 24,000. For me, I I don't watch it that much, but it is happening. It is occurring. This is a possible explanation for it, but I don't know if it's the only explanation for it. So what are you going to do? If you want to know what I'm going to do, I'm going to do what? Buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Time for a joke with Dad Says Jokes. I got in a fight with one, three, five, seven, and nine. The odds were against me. No kidding. The odds are against us all. We're the underdog. (laughs) We always have been. If you're a citizen of the United States and not a multi-billionaire or in the government echelons, you are, in fact, the underdog. That's okay. Underdogs have won before. How are we going to win this one? My suggestion has been for a long time to not worry about what the West is doing. We concentrate 
on, well, right now you can just say the global South. I think that's the best way to put it. I usually normally term it Africa and Central America and South America and all that, but let's, let's take it and just say, just say the global South, even though Australia and New Zealand, which is part of the West are part of the global South. They're not going to budge. They're going to be part of the West. They want to be part of the West. They think NATO is a good thing. Used to be, but it's turned into something more hideous than that. And by the way, I ain't exactly a fan of the Warsaw Pact either. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. It's not fucking important. The only thing that's important here is that people in Nigeria don't know what money they can use. They don't know if they can use their money. They don't know where to get it. They know that they're owed it. And they're having problems paying bills, buying food, paying rent, getting to work, doing the things that we just want to be left alone to do. And I think they're getting their eyes opened real wide and real quick. And that's a dangerous thing. That's not a boiling frog. I mean, the boiling frog analogy, by the way, is bunk. You put a frog into water, you heat it up enough, no matter how slowly you do it, that frog is going to want to get out. And if it can get out past a certain temperature, it's going to get out. It's not going to let itself boil. It's just, that's not going to happen. These people, however, even if the analogy was true about frogs and boiling water, these people are being shocked awake not being lulled to sleep by gently heating water as we were led to believe in the false analogy of the frog in the boiling water. That's what was supposed to, oh, it goes to sleep because it feels so comfy. Bullshit. After a certain point, you become very uncomfortable. And if it's a shocker, then you react violently to escape that shit. And that's what's going on in Nigeria right now. And Nigeria very well may be the touchstone for the entire continent of Africa. Will it? I don't know. I just don't know. I, what I hope I'm seeing is that somebody, you know, a, a group of people that have had their shells of iniquity crushed beyond all comprehension and their souls are now released to explore a completely different path in life. That's what I hope. It's painful and I don't like that part. I would never wish pain on somebody else, but it looks like that's what's happening. All eyes need to be on Nigeria, but we also cannot take our eyes. At least we got to keep one eyeball roaming around to see what's going on in the rest of Africa. And also just as important, Central and South America, the whole global South. These people are, we're the beneficiaries of our government's policies, whether you're Mexico, Canada, United States, the EU, Australia, New Zealand, the West has been siphoning wealth from the people of the rest of the world, mostly in the global South, for so many decades that we don't even see it anymore. We were born into it. Of course, we were never going to see it. And it's not until something like Bitcoin comes around that it causes people that would otherwise want to just pay their bills and go to work to say, fuck it, I'll be poor and live under a bridge so that I can do a Bitcoin podcast for no fucking money because it's that goddamn important. And it is. This is the kind of shit, this is once in a lifetime. And it's not to be famous. It's not for any of us to like get our names written history. It's to change the entire world. Hopefully for the better. 
I don't want to see this go the way of France, where it's, oh, it's a worldwide revolution and we won. And it's just as bad as the government that we overthrew. Nobody wants that. Attitudes have to change from the heart and the mind. And greed has been so deftly instilled in all of us from the time of birth. It's all about you, buddy. Go get what you want. Don't worry about them. Crush the little people and all that shit. That's been a lie. Of all, Like you got lied about about money and you start wondering what else you got lied to about. You got lied to about that. You got lied to about that it's all about you. It's not. It's not all about you. It's about us. It's about all of us. There's not a distinction between poor and rich. I know that's a stupid thing to say. The rich is not the enemy of the poor, and the poor is not the enemy of the rich. The rich and the poor have a single entity. Honestly, it's federal governments and inclusive bodies of institutionalized bullshit around the world. We've let them have the levers of power. What did you think they were going to do with the levers? They're going to throw the levers. They're going to work the power. We've let it happen. It's not our fault. We were born into it, but it damn well will be our fault if we don't take the levers of power away from them and basically sit them in a chair, tie them down, and pull all their teeth so that they can't do any damage anymore. What does that look like? I don't know. But it's either we do that or we get more of what's going on today. Nothing but clown world and the poor keep getting poorer and government and the government's friends that are rich keep getting richer. Because even the rich that, if you're rich, like you got $10 million in the bank and you're, you consider yourself or other people consider you rich and you have zero friends in Senate or the government or any of the federal things around the world or any banking institutions other than a personal banker, then you, my friend, are not rich. You are indeed just as poor as anybody else because you have no way to save your wealth against these people. What hap- what, what, what's happened to the people that you consider poor if you're, you consider yourself rich but you got no friends in government will happen to you too. So... Bitcoin is a tool to do that. What's another tool to do that? I can communicate value to you. But if I don't know who the hell you are and what you have to offer, then me having the ability to communicate value to you is of no consequence whatsoever. I have to know who you are and what you have to offer before I can get make you an offer for that good or service. And that's why I love Noster. You see what I'm getting at? If if you're on Twitter, the chances of me finding you, or well, are zero now because I got booted off. But even before I was booted off, the chances of me finding you so that I can communicate value to you over the lightning and or main chain Bitcoin transactions, it was never going to happen. I have met and, and been in contact with so many more people on Noster than I ever was on Twitter. And you know what's happening on Noster? People are starting to think about what can I write that is of a value. I don't want. There are people that are like, I I don't want to ship post anymore. I I actually want to see if I can. I don't know. Make a couple of bucks on the side by publishing my thoughts. 
and how and then there's people that are asking them they've gone further and they're asking themselves the question how do i write how do i write something that you want to read what length should it be should it have pictures i'm doing that right now i'm i'm literally in the middle of doing that right now i'm revamping my agricultural resources book thread to see if i can get some traction out of it and experimenting with each individual post. Each, each post of that will be a book that I've read with a brief synopsis. Does it need to be longer? Does it need to be shorter? Do there need to be more pictures? How do I craft the words in a way that, that attracts your attention, that makes you feel that this book may be valuable? And then I provide a link to that book, mostly to book people, because I like that company. Um, I don't want to send you to Amazon. I want the I want the poor people to have you know a cut of global wealth and book people ain't exactly swimming in, in cash. So that's why I put book people links to each book that, that I'm talking about in this thread. Will it work? I don't know. We're going to find out though. Do I get zaps and see, and that's the way I find if it's valuable. It's the zapping. If people, if I write, you know, a very, very short synopsis of a book and I get one zap and it's a hundred Satoshis, then maybe my next one might need to be a little bit more in depth on the next book that I put on that list. And if I'm right and I get like 7, you know, 0.5 thousand Satoshis worth of zaps and there's 12 of them rather than one, then maybe I'm on the right track. That, see, it's communicating value to me. It's giving me a direction to roll in. We haven't had this for a long time. If you're not on Noster and you're not on Stacker News, stacker.news, stacker.news. And as far as Noster, Pick a client. Nostagram.co is my favorite for web. Domus is my favorite for iOS. You can get Amethyst on uh, Android. There's snort.social. There's any manner of ways. Like you just Google. If you're using Google, you can say Noster clients. You'll get a list. I guarantee it. Start using them. Be careful with your private keys, but start using these things. Start figuring out a way that you can bring value. Maybe if you're like knitting something or you're selling something physical, try figuring out a way to use a Noster note to portray that item, good or service, in the light you want it portrayed in and provide a lightning invoice for people to actually purchase the goddamn thing. Let's start rolling this out and show the Global South what can be done in lieu of any government anywhere in the world, any central bank anywhere in the world, any corner bank anywhere in the world. What can we do? Not how should we think or, or you know, how we should, you know, try to propagandize Bitcoin to people that we don't know. What can we do to show the value of the facts of Bitcoin so that people are able to uncover it for themselves. It's a whole new world and I'm here for it. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.